And the reading, the reading yeah, is from Acts 20, verse 16 to 38. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. For Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of, church, of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to, the, to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to try draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I have never stopped warning you, each of you, the night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied your own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, you must help the weak, remembering the words that Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was that his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Great. Thank you very much, Laura. And... Um, it's great that we have the words on the screen, although I must admit, when you just see the, a few words like that, it's quite difficult, isn't it, to get us the full sense of the passage. Um, so, and you're probably thinking, I've got no idea how I'm going to try and answer the question that Chris posed uh, beforehand, what does it mean to be nurtured? It, it, I'm sure it, if you have the Bible open in front of you, you will find it more helpful, or even if you've got it on a phone or something, I think that will be useful. I will put um, some of it on the screen now, but I know I'm, I get, I'm a bit of a worn record on this, but... Uh, uh, we will engage better with it if we're actually reading it for ourselves. And um, if you are able to, to have an actual uh, the text in front of you, I think you'll find it helpful um, 
to, to get more out of it. So that's just to, to encourage you um, looking forward. But um, so our topic this morning is the church is nurtured. And um, I've got some slides, which uh, there you are. There's a, there's a little plant which needs nurture and a reminder that as God's people, we need to be nurtured. So um, this, this little passage, actually, um, if you see it in your Bible, it, it helps because you get the paragraphs. And um, although there were no paragraphs in, the, um, in the, the original text we have, there's some, there's some signals that Luke gives us because he, there are, he, he puts in a sense of paragraph break in three places by using the words and now. And you see that if you, if you use the NIV, it says now in three places, beginning of verse 22, 25, and 32. It's, so he, he, it's broken into little sections that make it easier for us. And I'm just going to use those um, four sections this morning. But um, did anyone manage to sort of get, get, have an inkling as to what the answer to that question that I posed beforehand was? What does Paul's speech say about what nurture involves? Beg your pardon? Humility, thank you. Anyone else? Hard work, work, thank you. Trust, Trust, thank you. Looking after each other. other. (coughs) Honesty, time. Example. Example. Growth. Maintaining Maintaining the truth. Good. Okay. Well, let's have a look at the passage, and um, hopefully, um, we will be helped as we do that to see um, some of the answers to the question. So, uh, I'm not sure if my thing is working. Rob, can you move me on? It is on. Are we stuck? There we are. So, here's the first paragraph, and I've highlighted there the, the things that Paul says he's done. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord, and some, he now picks up some of those words that uh, you, you mentioned, some of you, with great humility, with tears. Interesting tears, isn't it? We don't associate Paul, perhaps, with tears. Uh, what do tears tell us about us? Um, well, it might tell us that we're quite emotional people, but it might also give us a sense of vulnerability. I know a lot of people, um, I say a lot of people, sometimes I'm talking to people about something that's on their heart, and they, they start to cry. And, and often when that happens, I find people tend to apologize, and they say, oh, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't be crying. Um, and I, I tried normally to say, well, you know, you don't need to apologize, because actually um, showing emotion and showing our vulnerability is a good thing. It's part of how we bless and encourage others, actually, is to show our vulnerability, and some of us find that easier than others, don't we? I'm looking at the men, particularly the older men. Do you like to make yourself vulnerable? Do you like people to think you're a little bit weak and you're not quite in control? Or have you spent your life, like me, um, sort of being encouraged to to show, put on a strong face? But Paul says, I served you with humility, with tears, in the midst of severe testing. And we've talked a lot in this series about suffering and trials, and we see that particularly in Paul's life. And then he says, you know, I've not hesitated to preach. 
but have taught you, and I have declared. And we're going to come back to this theme, because this is a theme that um, I think we see in this speech, that nurturing, encouraging, and helping, and discipling, and shepherding others involves declaring, and proclaiming, and teaching the truth. So those are the th- some of the active words, but let's look at those, that same passage and look at what it was that Paul actually said he did tell them. He says, I'm not hesitated to preach, and what is it that he preached? Anything that would be helpful to you. And then in the last line, we have, in a sense, the beginning of the gospel, haven't we? I've declared, what is it I've declared? I've declared that everybody, whether they're Jews or Greeks, needs to turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Hold those thoughts in your head. Paul talked to the people about the importance of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And now, so we have our first punctuation marker, and now... Compelled by the Spirit, here's another load of verbs, acting words, the things that Paul says, I'm doing, or I do, or I've done. I am going. I'm now going on a journey, and I'm not sure where I'm going, but I'm going. Uh, I don't know where I'm going, but I do know, because the Holy Spirit's told me, that it's going to be difficult. But I consider, I evaluate my own life on the basis that it itself is nothing to me. My only aim is to be faithful, to complete the task Jesus has given me. And what is that task? It's testifying to the good news of God's grace. So look at the things Paul says he does. He's willing to go where it's hard to go. He has an attitude towards himself that actually it's not about me. It's not even about preserving my life. It's about what I say and what I show. And what is it that he shows? Well, again, we have a gospel phrase at the end of this paragraph. In the previous paragraph, he talked about repentance and turning to God. And now he talks about the good news of God's grace. Interesting, really, when we had the two glasses earlier, nobody mentioned grace, did they? Did anyone mention grace? I would say that the biggest thing we have to be thankful for actually the biggest thing we have to be thankful for is God himself everything else that he gives us is like um, you know it's like the wrapping paper uh, it's God himself that we're grateful for but the, but the best thing that God gives us surely is his grace there's the fact that he he doesn't he doesn't deal with us according to what we deserve he did, deals with us according to his character according to his mercy and goodness He relates to us according to what he's like, not according to what we're like. That's God's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Wonderful grace that gives me, that gives what I don't deserve, pays me what Christ has earned and lets me go free. And this is what Paul has been talking to the Ephesians about for three years, the good news of God's grace. Next paragraph, another and now. And what are the things he does well, he's, he knows some things, and he declares some things, and he says, I've not hesitated to proclaim some things. And he also knows, and he warns them, that just as things are about to become difficult for him, 
that they're going to be difficult for the church. And part of nurturing the church is warning and preparing the church, uh, not just for persecution from outside, but from troublemakers within, those whom Paul describes in his letters sometimes as idle and disruptive. It shouldn't be a surprise to us when we find people in church who are like that. We get consistent warnings throughout the New Testament that this will happen. But Paul doesn't describe such people, even though they're part of the church, in um, sort of kindly terms. He describes them as savage wolves who've come among you and will not spare the flock. And how will they not spare the flock? Because they distort the truth and they draw away disciples. They sow error and they sow division. So be on your guard and remember that for three years, Paul says, I never stopped warning you. I never stopped trying to prepare you for these disruptions. But once again, in the same passage, we have some gospel words. We have some words that remind us that, uh, that give us a sense of what Paul used to say when he was in Ephesus. He proclaimed to them the whole will of God. That's an, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? What would you say the whole will of God is? If you had to explain to somebody the whole will of God, what would you say? Well, uh, we've had quite a lot of interactions, so I, w- I won't wait. I'll tell you what I think it means. You can discuss it in your small groups this week. I think the whole will of God is God's wonderful salvation plan for people like us. Well, not just people like us, for everybody. The whole will of God, right from the beginning of time, was to save people and to draw us into a relationship with him. That's the whole will of God. The whole will of God was that he would send his son to die for us, that we might be saved and that we might be prepared for eternity with him. That's the whole will of God. The whole will of God is that the church might be a community of people who are filled with love and who are proclaiming his truth and who are living out this gospel. That's the whole will of God. The whole will of God is not a little, tiny, minute, detailed thing. It's a massive, big thing. It's a big vision that God has for us. That's the whole will of God. And how much did God care about this? How committed was God to this thing that he'd promised? Well, we get it in those next highlighted words. He bought us with his own blood. He bought us with his own blood. Have you ever bought someone with your blood? I mean, maybe you have saved a life, or maybe you know someone who's given a life. God has bought us with his own blood. Interestingly, that it, it doesn't talk there about Jesus specifically. It, it, it is obviously um, Paul is thinking about God and Jesus in the same sense as being together in this great work of salvation. They have together purposed from the beginning of time as part of the whole will of God to save us through their own sacrifice, through their own blood. And this is the truth that Paul proclaims, and it's the truth that can be distorted. And then the final paragraph of his speech, the the final, and now. And now Paul does, what does he do? He commits the church. He reminds them that he's not coveted. He's not been money-grabbing. And he reminds them that he showed them what kind, how it means to live for Christ. But also in this last paragraph, he takes us back to the Lord Jesus. He reminds us that it's all about his grace 
But he also uses some words, which is a quote from the Lord Jesus. Although the interesting thing about this quote, what's the interesting thing about this quote, Bible geeks? It's not in the Gospels. It's not a quote you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, a, it's a word, some words of Jesus that, have, that obviously he knew. So, so not everything Jesus says is written in the Gospels. If, if, as, as it says in John's Gospel, if everything that Jesus said and did could be described, it would have filled many, 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 many books, not just those four. So Paul it obviously knew people who'd known Jesus. He knew many people who'd been disciples of Jesus. Luke himself had also um, interviewed and, and talked to many people who decided disciples of Jesus. And here is a word that Jesus said, which is also part of the gospel. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I wonder when Jesus said that, because Jesus could have been talking about himself, couldn't it? Couldn't it? Couldn't he? I didn't stay in heaven you know, think of Philippians chapter 2. I didn't stay in heaven enjoying the glories of heaven, but I made myself nothing, becoming as a human, dying on a cross, because that actually, for me, was the way of blessing, Jesus might have said. But he also might have been saying it to his disciples. Guys, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't want to be, don't want to be the important one. Be the one who gives and gives and gives. Be the one who washes each other's feet. That, too, is how the gospel is lived out among us. So we've, we've sort of walked through the passage, which is, you know, what I tend to do first. Let's, let's walk through the passage. Let's, let's look at the key points. Let's ensure we've sort of grasped a little bit what Paul's talking about. But then, as ever, could, if you could move me on, Rob. There's nothing very earth-shattering on the next slide, except that, yes, it's the so what. It's the so what moment this morning. So in the light of all this, what are we to do? What are we to do and to be as God's people, as those who are called to be part of his church? Let me suggest a few things. So this morning is about nurture, and I suppose... What struck me from this passage is that nurture, um, nurturing and discipling and building up the church has always got to be built on the fact, that the truth of the gospel, the good news of God's grace. You know, there's all kinds of, of ways out there in society. Um, there's all kinds of, of um, ideas about how people can be um, fulfilled, can be helped, um, can be encouraged, can be strengthened, and many of those things are good things. But the gospel, the good news that we have, always has to be grounded in what Christ has done for us. And I would encourage you, those of you involved in pastoral care, which, by the way, should be all of us. I'll, I'll come back to that. But this is, this is a ministry we should all be involved in, in discipling and nurturing and encouraging and building each other up. We always should think, think well, what's the, what's the opportunity in this situation to proclaim the good news, to remind somebody what, what they are in Christ, who they are in Christ, to remind one another of the riches of God's grace, to remind one another, perhaps going back to that first section, of the need for repentance and turning to God. Because if, if when somebody comes to us with a, with a problem and they're feeling down, all we do is tell them everything's going to be all right 
and they're actually a, a good person and they just need to, to find some inner strength and look on the bright side and, and all those things which you know, in a, may be helpful and may have, may have truth in them. If we just say that, then we're not nurturing them. We're not nurturing one another. We're not really helping one another. You can, you can find that in the self-help books in Waterstones or in the library. What we, our job, our duty, our privilege is to proclaim to one another the gospel. We learned that, didn't we, a year or so ago when we were looking at Galatians. The gospel is not just for when we come to faith. The gospel is good news throughout our lives. We constantly, I constantly, have to be reminded of the good news that Jesus has saved me. And that who I am and who I, and who I am in relation to God is not dependent on what I'm like or how good I am or what I've done. It's, it's based on what God's like and how amazing he is and on his character. The jar full of goodies for us must never be based on, on, on what comes out of us. It must be based on what God pours into the jar for us, what God pours into our lives. I think, we, I think if we look at Paul's ministry and we look at this speech, we see somebody who, all, who, took, who missed no opportunity to remind people of what Jesus has done for them. Secondly, you might be thinking, well, well this is all somebody else's job, this business of nurturing. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, here as a, I'm just here as a member of the congregation. Um, or, or, or I might characterize that, I'm just a consumer. <laughs> um, but we're not, are we? That's the point. We're all part of, the, we're all part of this living organism, the church. And uh, I talked last week about one of the things that, that characterizes we, we trust and we, we hope this church compared perhaps to, to some other churches. But um, another thing which I, I hope characterizes this church is that we believe in what I call every member ministry. You know, I'm, I'm referred to as the minister, but actually the word to, to minister in the New Testament is, is, is a word that, that is something we all do. It's actually the, it's actually the serving, slaving word. Uh, it, it, it's, the, it's the word that is used of deacons, but it's the word that's used of all of us. We're to be servants. We're to serve one another, whatever role we're in. I mean, I happen not to be a big fan of the whole concept of ordination, really, because I think the danger is it sets aside a, a certain people who are, who are sort of, you know, regarded as the ones who are going to do everything or, or, or have, particular, um, have a, a particular status. I mean, I've got nothing against ordination, but I kind of think if we're going to ordain, ordain ministers, we ought to be ordaining our Sunday school teachers and our, you know, the people who, who greet one another on the door. You know, we're all in ministry. We're all in ministry in this church. We're all, we, are all, we are all been called and ordained by God to serve him. And one of that forms of service is to nurture one another. That might be in your small group during the week. It might be in your work with, with children and young people. It might be on your front line when you have the opportunity to share the good news of God's grace with somebody who knows nothing about it. That is ministry. Shepherding, discipling, mentoring, parenting. Parenting is a ministry. Parenting, I mean, you don't need me, need, need me to tell you this, those of you who are parents. Parenting is a really challenging thing. 
And I think the, the more you do it, the more you realize how challenging it is. Um, and I think as, as church, we need, we need to be encouraging and supporting those who parent, both within and outside the church. But we also, and, I, and I've, I know I've said this before, we all need to think of ourselves, whoever we are, whatever our relationship status or so on, we all need to think of ourselves within the church as parents, those who are parenting, those who are younger in the faith than us. How are you, how are you parenting or mentoring or nurturing those who you meet in church on a Sunday morning? Do they go out of church having been encouraged by the older folk? I know some of them do. I know some of you are amazing encouragers and nurturers. But wouldn't it be great if that was the, always the experience of all of us that we're nurturing, that we're, we're finding opportunities, perhaps to meet up with young people we know um, during the week, to encourage them, to help them in their reading the Bible, to pray for them. That is what nurturing means. And the, the final point I guess I want to make about this speech is that it's a farewell speech. I, I presume you picked that up. This is, is quite an emotional farewell speech that Paul um, had with these folk that he'd been very close to in Ephesus. Um, I, I don't, have, have you ever given a farewell speech? Has anyone given a farewell speech? A, a couple of nods. Um, I, I, I think I've, I've given one farewell speech. Uh, which was when I stopped my, my... Most of you know I used to work in London. I spent 22 years working in a, in a financial services company. Um, and I'd got to know the people there pretty well over 22 years. Um, you know, most people knew me. They knew I was a believer, uh, most of them. But I think I came to give this farewell speech when I believe God was calling me um, to do what I'm now doing, to, to, to train for... Um, the kind of ministry I'm involved in in the church. And, um, you know, we had, there was a bit of a do on a Friday evening and there were, you know, nibbles and wine and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and all the people that I'd known for those 22 years, you know, they, it came along and, and, and then there was my farewell speech. And, and, I've, and I found the notes for it because I'm the sort of person that keeps notes. So uh, I found the notes of this speech and um, I remember... I remember the sense of, well, a, a clear sense in my case that God was calling me on to something else, but also a sense that although I wasn't particularly attached to the kind of work I was doing and actually haven't particularly missed it since, I was quite attached to the people and I enjoyed working with them and being in teams with them and so on. But I also had a, a very strong sense that actually I'd let them down I'd known them for 22 years, and I had not done what I think Paul has modeled for us um, as he's talked in this passage. I hadn't. They knew I was a believer. Occasionally, I talked to them about that. But actually, I came to this farewell speech saying, actually, thinking, actually, I wish I'd done more, but also thinking, so I'm jolly well going to do the job now in the farewell speech. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't go overboard, but I did make it very clear um, I encouraged, I'm, I'm just looking at the notes now, which I've, I have, um, I've dug out. Um, and, I mean, I used to work in a kind of business where you were, you were trying to model the future, you were trying to make quite long-term projections and so on. And I encourage people to think that actually, you might think you're looking long-term, but actually all of us, need, we need to lift our eyes beyond that. 
God, ha- God has a bigger plan. It's back to Paul's point, isn't it? God's, God's big salvation plan is, any, is bigger than whatever project you're working on, whatever career you've devoted your life to, whatever your, your beauty of your house and your garden and the, the projects there. God is bigger than that. He has something that is bigger for us than that. And, and these are the words I said. Um, the most treasured part of my life is not what I may have achieved, but knowing that despite my faults and failings, I am a child of God, saved from what I am and what I deserve by his amazing grace, possessing a hope not only for this life, but forever. And then I went on. Can I give you the last word to Jesus Christ? 2,000 years ago, people's views of success was storing wealth away in barns and strong boxes. Most couldn't afford to, and those who were worried about thieves and vermin, and, 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 and those who could were worried about thieves and vermin destroying their savings. Today we worry, and, and this was um, in the context of the kind of work I did, about the economic situation, low interest rates, longevity, counterparty risk. But Jesus' response remains the same. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. Now, the reason I say this is not because I particularly like talking about myself, but I I want to encourage you to think, well, what would your farewell speech be? In your workplace? Or even even to your family? Because sometimes I talk to people who, who know they are approaching the end of their lives, and sometimes they want to say something to people in their family, and they, they're thinking about how best to do that. Perhaps they want to put something right, or they want to say something that they never quite had the courage to say. So it might be that sort of situation. It might be you're about to leave your, your particular college, and you know that you're not going to see some of your fellow students again. Uh, there might be other contexts, but, it, but it's worth us thinking, I think, what would we say in our farewell speech? And would that farewell speech be consistent with the way that we'd lived up to now? I mentioned that to some extent I felt I'd let my colleagues down. I'd encourage you to make sure when it comes to the time when you say your farewell, that you don't feel you've let anyone down, that you have in your way been nurturing those relationships, been encouraging people towards a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have, like Paul, I beg your pardon? Have I forgiven myself? Yeah, 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 I think so, yes. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm not consumed by it. I felt a sense of regret at the time. Yeah, and I think I've learned from it. And I think, my, in a sense, my, my ministry here has to some extent been, you know, I always believe God, God is a God who can redeem things. It's always a mistake to think that something you've done or something that's been done to you is, is irredeemable. That you're, you're, you know, God, God is a God of, of new beginnings. God is a God who can bring good out of the, the worst disasters and the biggest failings. And that's the gospel, isn't it? And that's what we proclaim, and that's what we believe. And I think, you know, I'm not, you know we, we, we should try to avoid mistakes and failings, but we should also not, be, not live in the past, not be, not be consumed by the past, 
but be confident that those experiences that God has given us are, in a sense, preparing and equipping us for the future. And, and I think, in a, in a sense, that's why I believe that as church, uh, we need to be really clear about proclaiming what we believe. Because I don't want us collectively, when we come to say our collective farewell to this life, to think, if only, if only we'd been a bit clearer. If, we, if only we'd actually talked about Jesus. If only when the kids were with us earlier in the service and Debs had said, what are you be grateful for? If only we'd all shouted, Jesus! Were any of you thinking that? Because that's what, actually what we should have been doing, isn't it? to be honest. I know that's what Debs was hoping we'd do. We should all have been shouting, Jesus, here's who we're thankful for. We're thankful for the gospel. We thank you for for the cross. Some folks did say forgiveness and things like that. So, you know, and I know in a sense, you know, we don't always want to just say to the answer to every question, Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not trying to get at you. I'm just, but I'm just making a point that actually how are the young folk going to know that Jesus is everything to us if we don't say it? They won't. They'll think he's just another thing along with everything else in our lives. We have to actually tell them that Jesus means everything to us. Otherwise, they won't get it. Of course they won't, and it won't be their fault. And by the way, when, when Deb says, um, 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 what, what was the other glass? Yes. And what we can do for him, yeah. But it was more what, what God's thankful about for us or something, wasn't it? Yes, thankful for things we do. But, the, but, uh, but also I wanted to say to that, um, God is thankful for the things we do. And look at the list of things that Paul did. But actually when God looks at you, what's he thankful for? He's thankful for you. He's not thankful for the things you do. He is thankful for things you do. But, the, but it's like your kids, you know, if you've got kids or, 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 God, or godchildren or nephews and nieces, you know, do you love them primarily for what they do or do you prim- primarily love them because of who they are and because of the, your relationship with them? When God looks at you, I'll, instead of looking at you, I'll look at the camera. So all you people on Zoom, when God looks at you, the thing he's pleased about is you. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. Right. Sorry, I've I've gone on for too long. Let's stop. Um, Thank you, Graham. Did you mention Jesus? Brilliant. There you are. So Graham can tell you how to do it. Right. Let us pray, and then we're going to sing a lovely song to end with. Dear Lord God, we know that we all let you down. We all fail to live up to even our own standards, yet alone yours. But we thank you for the good news of your grace. We thank you that you look at us and you see in us the goodness and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that when we turn our faces to you, you come running to meet us. And we pray that our lives will live out that truth. And that those that we're in contact with, our children and young people, but those on our front lines, will know from what we say to them that our lives are defined by this good news and that nothing else really matters to us at all other than our relationship with you. Help us, we pray, to live like that for Jesus' sake. Amen.